to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Let him who is taught the word, this is our passage today, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Paul says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, will these try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. It's a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule... Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Father, speak to us today. Lord, we came in here how we came in. But Lord, anytime your word is opened, anytime we hear your word spoken or taught, may you change us. Your word can even be spoken through an absolute heretic that's out there. But in the portion that is truth, you can even speak to us at that time. I don't advocate going out and listening to heretics, but just to make the point that your word is powerful, that it can speak through a heretic, through a donkey, through me, through anyone. As your word is spoken, your word can teach. Your word can transform. Your word can touch a deep part in our life. It may not even have anything to do with the message. Maybe there's a word. God, so many times you've spoken to my heart through a message that had absolutely nothing to do with the message, but there's a word that is spoken of. And maybe there's a phrase in a verse that, God, you just nail me on. It's not that you're nailing me to punish me, but you're highlighting that. It's like you've put bright lights on that one paragraph or on that one statement or on that one word, and it speaks to me so greatly. God, anytime your word is open, may you change us to become the man or the woman that you desire us to be. May we be used by you. May we live for you. May our life be centered about you, Lord. Do a work in our hearts today and in our minds. Help us to leave this place knowing you better than we did when we walked in. 
Help us to leave this place today knowing a reason for life, for oxygen, more when we leave than when we did when we walked in. And so, Lord, take control. I pray you speak through me. Remove me out of this pulpit, Lord, that you would be seen. If anything that I say today is of my opinion and it is not of you and not from your throne, Lord, strike it from the memory. Strike it from the ears of the hearers. May your word only be prevalent here. May you speak to us. May you encourage us. As Kevin said, maybe you even have to rebuke us in some areas. Lord, we know that your rebuke is never there to just simply punish because you like to see people suffer. That's never the case. Sometime rebuke. When we are rebuked, Lord, it's for a change in our life that would bring us in concert with you. And so, Lord, do that work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul talking, he says, uh, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And I touched on that last time that I taught two weeks ago. And that was, you know, obviously as a pastor, I don't, you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've never seen a thermometer on one side of the stage saying, this is what we need. And another thermometer on the other side of saying, this is how much you've given. <laughs> it's never going to happen in this church. And if it does, please leave because this church is never going to be about money. It's never about money. You remember me telling you that many, many years ago, Bill Keen, some of you guys might recognize that name. He was the cartoonist of the family circus. Any of you guys ever read the newspaper and, and see the family circus? How many of you guys know the family circus? All of us old people except for Ross. That's awesome. That's great. You're growing up, Ross. That is awesome. He has, uh, you know, his wife and, and I think his wife's name's Sally and his name is Bill. You know, he's the, he's actually the cartoonist in the, he's the, the father figure in the family circus. And he's got a son by the name of Billy and then one by the name of PJ and a daughter by the name of Dolly. And he had Billy fill in for him one day. He, he kind of, as a joke, you know, as a kind of a cartoonist, as a cartoonist would say, Bill has taken the week off today. He gave the pen to Billy to do the cartoon this week. And so he gave Billy the, the assignment. Billy, when you grow up, what do you want to be? And so Billy looks there and he says, okay, what do I want to be when I grow up? And Billy's sitting there at the easel and with a pen in his hand and the pencil in his hand and the, the palette in front of him as he's drawing. And as he's sitting there, he's got these little bubbles above his head, the cloud bubbles above his head. What do I want to be when I grow up? And here he has a, a, a policeman with a whistle in his hand doing this. He had a fireman, you know, with what in his hand? A, a hose. He had a doctor with the little thing on his head, you know, whatever that thing is. A stethoscope around his neck. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be a, maybe a, a policeman, maybe a fireman, maybe a doctor. But then he also had a, a pastor and the pastor had the, you know, the black button up thing, you know, with a little white collar there. And he, that pastor was there with, with the word of God standing there at the pulpit doing this. No, that's not true. Because that's not what a lot of the world considers a pastor to be. No, in, in Billy's estimation, what he thought, well, if I want to be a pastor, here's what I need to do. He had a bucket and people were throwing money into the bucket. And I thought, wow, that's the world, isn't it? The world, that's, that, is that what we as, as pastors, is that what pulpits have articulated to the world around us that we're here just for money? It's not about that. I mean, look at us. We're not here for money. We have a box in the back. You want to give? It's right back there. But I'm not going to force you to give. I never talk about money all that much. And that too, actually, probably my discredit. I have a lot of guys that will say you need to talk about money because you're robbing people if you don't talk about money. 
You rob people if you don't talk about tithing, if you don't talk about giving unto the Lord, giving unto other people. And so there's your message for probably this year, okay? Paul says, hey, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. You know, if you're being taught the word, if God's growing you up here, well, this would probably be the place that you'd want to support. You'd want to support financially. I would think so. And so if that's the case, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I thank you. Kevin thanks you. The church thanks you. Our missionaries thank you. But you're you're not going to hear me beg for money. I heard this from my pastor many, many, many years ago, who actually did. It's the craziest thing because Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, has always been one of those things that, you know, that was where Pastor Chuck was the pastor for so, so, so many years. And all of the worship songs, many of the, the hymns and the choruses that came out of Calvary Chapel were were very cutting edge at the time. And then you you break outside of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and you go to all these other churches. And, and all these other churches, like ours, we don't give an offering, you know, we don't take an offering. And we stand in service, or we sit, you can stand or sit, you can raise your hands or what have you. And so you just expect that. And you go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, or you used to, back when Pastor Chuck was still alive. If you stood in a service and raised your hand, they, they felt, you know what, we just don't. We don't want to offend you, but what we don't want you to do is to draw attention to yourself. Attention should be on the Lord. I don't disagree with him. I didn't, I have never done that myself. I, I, I didn't feel it necessary to say, hey, this is a place I think should be safe for us as believers. And where else will we raise our hands? You know, under the Lord as a corporate group. And so I've never said, yeah, let's keep our hands down. Let's stay seated. If all of everybody's seated, everybody stay seated. If everybody's standing up, then everybody stand up. Let's just not draw attention to ourselves. I understood the heart. I understood the heart of Pastor Chuck. And, you know, giving the, uh, the buckets, you know, going around, you know, the, 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 the tithe buckets going around, you know, in a lot of Calvary chapels, you won't see that, you know, and you go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, back when Chuck was there, there was, but he would always say, listen, if, if this isn't your church, you don't, don't give, but if this is your church, support it, support it. I've said far more than I probably have said in a long time about money. If this is your church, support it. We aren't going to pass a bucket and we're not going to beat you down and say, you got to give, you got to give. Listen, if this is your church, give. If not, that's fine. I don't know what anybody gives. You get a little letter at the end of the year that says, I don't know what anybody gives. We've got people in here. We Probably most of you guys are counters. <laughs> I don't ever get what you, I get. You guys take copies of the checks and everything like that. I never see those things. I don't ever want to know what anybody gives because I don't want to treat anybody different than anybody else. I don't know if you've never given a dime or if you've given $100,000. Nobody's ever given $100,000, but (laughs) if you feel so led today. (laughs) Listen. (laughs) Uh, Oh, goodness. Um, here's the thing, uh, but I don't know what anybody gives. I, I never have, never will, and I love it that way because I'm free to I'm I'm free to minister to everybody. I don't I I know me, and I know that I would have a temptation to try to treat somebody who's a better giver than somebody who isn't, and I don't want that. I don't want that on myself. I just want to be able to love all of you guys the same exact way. 
You know, back when I first got here, there were guys that wanted to take me off on a on a trip, and you know, hey, we bought you this trip, man. You're gonna go with us, man. We're gonna go skiing out in California or in Colorado, and we're gonna be out there for a week. And we bought all this stuff, and we're gonna do all this stuff out there. And I said, I can't go. I can't go. What? I can't go. I can't go. I don't want to have a little, you know, us, and then them. I don't want that. I want to, and, and they got mad, but they got over it. They're not here anymore, but <laughs> they did get over it. They did get over it. But, and I'm still friends with some of those guys. But it's not about money. But how else is the church going to operate unless the congregation keeps the lights on? That's that's where we are. You know, we support missionaries. We We have a place to meet. And so... There it is. I, I'm done with that. I, I got to be done with that. Do not be be deceived. Paul goes on. He says, "God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap." The word "deceive" there in the Greek is "planeo." Uh, "Planeo." Uh, it, it literally means to cause to stray, to lead astray, or to lead aside from the right way. To, to lead someone away from the right way or to lead yourself away from the right way. And so Paul is saying, hey, be careful. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray by the things that you see in the world. Don't be led astray by, by even someone in a pulpit. He's gonna, he's gonna talk about religious guys that come into a church and say you need to do certain things. That's what he talks about down here in verse 15 and, and, uh, in, into verse 15, I'm sorry, verse, uh, uh, 13, 12 and 13. And verse 15. He says, listen, these guys, and in fact, I'll touch this, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these try to compel you to be circumcised. What's Paul saying here is that there's guys that come in, they're religious, and they've come in, and they, they say a lot of religious words, they look very pious, they look like they're religious. They look like they're holy. And they come in and they begin to lay burdens on the laity. The laity is the church or the congregation. They lay these burdens on them and say, it's Jesus Christ and circumcision. you got to be circumcised or you can't be a part of heaven. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. But here's the thing. If you're not circumcised, that blood was not enough. You have, and now I, they would probably never go that far to say that, but that's what they were intending to, to articulate. You've got to be circumcised or else the blood of Christ is not going to save you. It's got, you got to do both. And so Paul says, as many of these guys that desire to make a good showing, they want to come in and they want to come in with a pop and circum, pomp and circumstance and, and look the part. He says, these guys are trying to compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Why? Because here's the thing. They wanted to still be able to, to go to synagogue. They still wanted to have the, the, the priests, the chief priests, the scribes still accept them into their group. Hey man, don't get mad. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. Hey, listen, we're all circumcised. We're doing everything. We're, we're still, we're still, we're still, um, uh, you know, Judaizers. We're still that. We still are, 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 are pushing, you know, all of, of, of the Old Testament. We're still pushing all of that. 
They don't want the punishment that's going to come down upon them from the high priest, the, the chief priest, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. No, we want to be able to rub elbows with those guys. And Paul says, you, you, you can't have, you can't be in both camps. You can't be in both camps. But what they're trying to do is that they're trying to proselytize a church in order to gain more followers into their way of thinking. He says they want to, they want to make a good showing. But don't listen to them. They're only doing this so that they would not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And, and here's the reason. He says, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. They don't even do it themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. They, they don't even do it themselves. And Paul's addressed this before, hasn't he? He's addressed this back in the book of Galatia, in, uh, in, uh, well, it was actually earlier in this, uh, in, uh, in this, this, uh, passage, in this book, this letter. Where all the certain men from James came up, you know, into, into, uh, uh, Cilicia and, and they came up there and into Antioch, I'm sorry. They came up there into Antioch and, and Peter and, and Barnabas and, and all the Jews that were there that were rubbing elbows with all the Gentiles, they began to play a hypocrite, right? They started to, when certain people came from the church in Jerusalem and came up to visit them in Antioch, Syria, they separated themselves from the from the Gentiles, and they they had a, a a Jewish table over here and a Gentile table over there, and all the Jews sat over there. Well, Paul, Paul says, "Listen, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner Peter, in the manner of the Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews?" And so he really came down on Pope Pete, right? That's the Catholics think that Peter was the first pope. Well, Paul should be excommunicated from the church because he rails on Pope Pete. And if the Catholics really believe that Peter was the first pope, then according to their doctrine, Peter's word and Peter's action is is uh, biblical and it's God's word. And so if Peter plays the hypocrite, well, then that must be the Lord and God advocates that. And so Paul pointing out Peter and saying, Hey, Pope Pete, you being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentile or live in the manner of uh, of the Jew or live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews. Why are you compelling these Gentiles to live as Jews? Why are you compelling that them to do that? And he calls them out. And he says, you can't do this. And that's what he's doing here with these, with the, with the, the believers there in Galatia. He's saying, guys, don't get sucked into this. Don't get caught up in this. You don't get caught up in this. These guys, they just want to glory in your flesh. They want to be able to go back home into Jerusalem and say, look what we did. We went up there into Galatia and, and we got them all circumcised. Didn't we do good, high priest? We did your bidding. And and Paul says, no, 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 no. In verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but, but it's only a new creation. 
That's the only thing that 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 is of any value in heaven. It's not whether you're circumcised or not circumcised. It's whether you are a new creation. Paul talks about it, right? He says, if any man, any woman, anyone is in Christ, what does he say? He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Nowhere in all of that statement is there a directive that says you have to be circumcised in order to become a new creation. Paul says no. To become a new creation, it's in the blood of Jesus Christ and that's it. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We've talked about that plenty of times, haven't we? It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, it avails nothing only if you are a new creation. That's the only value. And so Paul, going back into verse 7, he says, don't be deceived. God, don't don't be led astray by these guys that are out there trying to come in here and trick you. Don't, don't be led astray. And I would encourage you, church, today to know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of doctrine out there that would cause you to be led astray. Know the word of God. Don't place it on someone else to know the word of God, to teach you. I'm not saying that you don't go to a church and you don't get, you know, ministered to at a church, but don't let that be your only source of substance scripturally. Study on your own. For you know what? Though I will have to answer to the Lord for how I taught you and how I led you as a pastor. I'm going to have to answer to the Lord for that. That's between me and the Lord. That's 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 my relationship. That's the responsibility that I have. Know this, you are going to have a direct responsibility to the Lord also. And when you go, well, I went to the church and they 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 just they didn't teach me right. And the Lord goes, didn't you have this in your hand? This is my word. These are 66 love letters that I wrote to you. Did you ever read my love letters or did you just wait to get a little vignette at church? Is that all you you did? Listen, get into the word. Know the word yourself. Don't place it on someone else, this responsibility on someone else because you're going to be sorely mistaken in heaven. We must know the word ourselves. Isn't that how... It should be that we don't have to rely on someone else. It's just Jesus Christ. It's just Jesus Christ, your relationship with him. He says, God's not mocked. God's not mocked. That word mocked, uh, it, it literally means uh, to turn up the nose at or to sneer at. We don't sneer at God. We don't look at Him and we don't, we don't mock Him by trying to buy into the world and say, God, you're going to have to follow into you. Listen, this is what the world's doing. This is really what is a, a very, uh, cancerous teaching in churches today and from pulpits today. And we've got a lot of pulpits even here in Sarasota that are that are, are, are propagating this kind of doctrine. And that is, this is what the culture is. And so therefore, the Bible, even though it says you're not supposed to do it, the thing is, 
that's not really what it meant. It meant you couldn't do it back in that time because in the culture of that time, it wasn't accepted. And so because it wasn't accepted in the culture at that time, then you didn't do it because then it was sinful. But today, even though the Bible says that you're not supposed to do it, just know this. It was just back in that time that they said that. But today we have a new culture. We have an acceptance of this or that or the other thing. And oftentimes it's in sexual perversion. It's okay to do that. Or it's in, or it's in drugs. Or it's in alcohol. It's in, it's in the things of the world and that the culture has embraced it. And because the culture has embraced it, what's happened is that there's become this, this morph in the church that has happened where pastors go, we're losing people in the church. We need to become more like the world so that they'll feel comfortable when they come to church. And I say, hogwash. Hogwash. There should be a difference between light and darkness. You don't bring in darkness into light to, to, to mix the two because they can't. All you gotta do is turn on a light switch in a dark room and guess what happens? The darkness goes away and it's filled with light. You can't mix dark, you know, darkness with light. One will overpower the other. And darkness never overpowers the light. What it is is called compromise. You introduce darkness into a church and it's a very, very, very slippery slope because where do you stop? We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that because it's more acceptable. It's culturally relevant. And I say, be careful, pastors. We might be a very, very small church until I die. That's okay. I stopped worrying about the numbers in a church a long time ago. It used to really bother me. But I, I just want to... I would love for the church to... I, I, think, I think we're the best kept secret in all of Sarasota. I think you guys are the greatest people in the whole world. I love this church. And I think that there are people that are missing out on what we have. But I'm not going to compromise my message so that I can attract more people. And I got some good buddies that say, hey, the end justifies the means. Do this and you'll get them in and then give them a message. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me, man. Well, Don, you're always going to be small. I'm in good company. Jesus only had 12. I don't care about how many people. I'm going to let God deal with the people. God's called me to teach you unadulterated word unashamed word that's what Kevin does when he gets up here Pastor Kevin he'll teach you what the word of God says he's not going to try to give you his opinion I'm not going to try to give you my opinion because here's the thing when I do that I'm mocking God because I'm introducing my opinions I'm deceiving you because I'm introducing my opinions or I'm, I'm mocking and, and deceiving you. I'm mocking God, deceiving you because I'm afraid of the culture around me and I'm trying to become much more like the culture so that they would accept me. And this is what Paul is saying to these Jews, uh, to, uh, about these Jews that are coming in. He's saying they just don't want their flesh to be hurt by the culture that's, that they're in. And Paul's saying that's hogwash. Don't do that. Don't let that happen. Don't get ripped off. Don't get ripped off. 
Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. I had to hurry. He who sows to the flesh, will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. There's a a heavenly economy of sowing and reaping. We look at reaping and we think of the word actual reaping literally means harvest. Literally means harvest. What you sow, that is what you will harvest. You harvest what you plant. And I will say, church, that it will not take much convincing you to understand this statement in its most basic form. Because right now, we're in the middle of planting season, aren't we? We're kind of in the the middle of spring, you know, pushing towards summer. We're getting close to summer, aren't we? But we still can plant. There's still time to plant. If you're into gardening... What you plant is what you expect to grow. Do I have to convince you of that? I don't think I do. I think you understand. If you're into flowers, if you, if you plant a gladiola bulb, what do you expect to spring forth from the ground? A gladiola, right? If, if you're into vegetables and, and you, you plant, you sow a corn kernel into the ground, well, you'd expect to see a corn stalk spring forth from the ground and eventually produce corn, right? Isn't that what it is? Now, what we do not expect is that if I plant in fertile ground tomato seeds, and I'm not going to expect a vine to pop up out of the ground and spring forth from the ground, eventually producing giant watermelons. I don't expect watermelons to come out of tomato seeds. And it, and it amazes us. I mean, when, when we look at this and we see harvesting in its basic form, it's not a difficult subject to understand. But where things begin to become foggy is when it comes to the life application of sowing and reaping. And that's what Paul's talking about. If you sow to the flesh, of, this, of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, of the spirit, you're going to reap, reap everlasting life. And so there's this economy, heavenly economy of, of sowing and harvesting or sowing and reaping. What you put into the ground is what is going to come up. You know, some of us learn sooner than others, but most of us spend a lifetime learning this lesson over and over and over again. I think that almost would require an amen from everyone, but, but, uh, that's me. When I was just a wee little lad, about nine or ten years old, I, I had a few best friends. Alan Neal was one of them. Sammy Kingsfield was one. But Daryl Womack was probably my closest at that time, depending on which city I was in at the time. But Daryl, still a good friend. I took him flying when we were out in uh, California back in November. Caught up a little bit with him, but... Daryl, I, I would go over to Daryl's house or he'd come out to mine or we'd go to the airport or something like that. But one day we were at Daryl's house. I was about nine, ten years old. And and uh, we oftentimes found, Daryl and I, we oftentimes found ourselves in the learning mode together. <laughs> you ever do that back as a kid? You're learning. 
Well, this particular day we were learning about Superman as we were on top of a on top of a, that house of his mom and dad's house, and we both had towels on <laughs> tied around our neck and the cape back there, and and uh, as we learned a lesson that day. What lesson do you think we both learned the moment or two after we both simultaneously jumped off the roof? Huh? Superman can't fly. <laughs> My wife calls me Superman. Isn't that great? Superman can't fly. <laughs> That's right. You guys remember the joke about Muhammad Ali? Muhammad Ali gets on a on a on a on a passenger jet. And the flight attendant comes by and says, okay, everybody, you need to buckle up and what have you. You know, they go through their procedure and what have you. And she comes to Muhammad Ali and says, Muhammad Ali, you, you, need to, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he goes, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. <laughs> and she goes, no, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Ali, you, you need to buckle up. This airplane can't leave unless you buckle up. And he said, I told you before, Superman don't need no, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she says, listen, I, I really don't want to get into this with you, but you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he said, and I told you Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she goes, Superman don't need no airplane. Buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. You're going to get a few of those little flight jokes out there every once in a while. <laughs> Here's the thing. Superman, I, we, we both learned at that moment that we were not Superman, nor any other superhero for that matter. We, we also learn, secondly, that gravity is actually a real law. We also learn that there was a consequence of attempting to overcome that law of gravity as an abrupt and painful ending happened to both of us as we hit the ground. Uh, granted, uh, gladly, we didn't break anything, but we didn't do it again. Have you ever jumped off a house back when you were a kid? You know, some of you guys, yes, you're, you're an idiot just like me. That's right. That's right. We did it. You see, what we did is we sowed the thought and the action of being able to fly. We thought that we could do it, only to realize a moment later, no, we were mistaken. But by that time, it was too late. We reaped the harsh reality of that consequence or of that action. You see, what we did is we harvested what we planted. And it amazes me that I have to learn this lesson so many times, and I'm going to pick on myself. But when I pick on myself, I want you to identify with this because it's you too. And that is, how many times do I sit there and think, if I continue to pour the seed in, a different plant's going to come up. I'm going to make the wrong choices and I'm going to pray that God gives the right answer. He gives, he blesses my wrong choices. And it doesn't work that way. It's, it's never worked that way. It just doesn't work that way. And it's hard, isn't it? to learn those consequential lessons. As we plant bad seed in the ground, we can't expect good fruit to come from it. And I, I see it maybe in a, in, a, in a relationship, whether it's a guy or a gal. Hey man, I'm on my eighth and tenth relationship and it never works. And you sit there and you go, well, who is the, the mate that you're, you're, you're attracting? You know, who, who is that? And, and you see over and over and over again, they pick the wrong kind of a person. 
And, and, and I was having this conversation with somebody uh, recently, you know, of, of, you know, girls liking more so the bad guys, the rebels. And, and I don't know what it is in you gals, but you think, hey, I need to get a rebel because I want that rebel because I want that guy that is, is on the edge. And then you get him and then you try to change him. <laughs> and then when he doesn't change, you go, this guy is horrible and you end up breaking up or you get a divorce. And then, as if you didn't learn from that sowing and reaping, you do it again and again and again and again and you're going, why does it always end up with me being hurt? Could it be that you're looking at the wrong kind of a guy? And that's not just guys, it's gals too. A guy, go after a gal that is really seductive and she's very flirtatious with everyone. And man, you, you, you are just enthralled with it and you end up getting into a relationship and the next thing you find out, she's cheating on you and you go, how did this happen? Well, could it be that her character was such that you probably shouldn't have gotten into that relationship in the first place? And, and, and we sit there, we go, oh Lord, what? How come? Why would you do this to me? And, and, and I've done that to the Lord so many times and the Lord goes, come on, man, give me, give me a break. Now, he doesn't ever really say that, but, but that's what I think I would say if I were the Lord. Give me a break, Don. You knew what you were getting when you, when you got into that relationship. You knew what you were getting when, getting when you sowed that seed. Are you surprised that this is the plant that grew up from the ground? And you know what? If truth be told, if we really, really, really think and consider ourselves, the law of sowing and reaping is actually very, very simple. But the reality of it is harsh when we break that law. When, when, when we sow bad seed and we ask the Lord to bless our bad seed, sometimes it doesn't work. In fact, I'm going to say most of the time it doesn't work. Oh, there's those rare occasions that the Lord takes something and, and it's, it's a, it's a bad thing at the beginning, but the Lord is able to bless it and the Lord is able to bless many things. But if, if that's how you go about your life, I'm going to make bad choices and I'm going to ask the Lord to bless my bad choices and that's how you operate your life knowing this. Know this. What you sow is what you're going to reap. And know this. Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Don't sneer at God when he says, this is not a direction you should go. I know I'm not supposed to go that way, but doggone it, Lord, I want to do this for me. And you do it. And then you find out that it hurts down the road. And, and, and you then go back to the Lord and go, Lord, why don't you help me? Why are you so far from helping me? Why are you so far from hearing my prayers? God, come on! And, and, if you really had a frank conversation with the Lord, much like what I was just saying, that I sometimes have with the Lord, it's like, the Lord's kind of going, are you, are you kidding? You're really coming to me with this? You knew in the beginning that you shouldn't have done it. And now you're suffering the consequences of it. Now you're asking me why I did this to you. I didn't do this to you. You did this to you. You sowed the seed. This is the plant that sprouted up. And now you're saying, 
God, because I planted tomato seeds and a watermelon and, and, and tomatoes came up, why couldn't you have made it sweet like a watermelon? I mean, if you really are God, could you have not have done that? Well, yes, of course God could have done that. But is God going to take a step out of the realm of righteousness and holiness in order to honor your sinful decisions and my sinful decisions? If that's how you approach God, you've got a wrong view of the Lord. Gang, listen. Think about the seeds that you're sowing today. Think about the seeds that are being sown in your life today. A farmer considers the seed that he sows. A farmer expects that the seed that he sows will produce the harvest for which it was intended. Consider the seeds that you're sowing because they are going to grow up. They're going to pop up out of the ground. And sometimes they're going to have such a deep root system that you can't uproot them real quick and it's going to take a lot of work. And the easiest thing to not have to uproot bad seed, bad plants, bad trees, bad vines, bad shrubs, is just not to plant them in the first place. Then you won't have to pull them up, right? Careful with the the sowing and the reaping. Be careful. Be really, really, really careful. Don't grow weary while doing good. In due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith. Saying, hey, bless the people that are in the fellowship. Paul says, I, I wrote this. You know that. We've already talked 12 and 13. And Paul goes, but, but I want to just say this one last thing. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And he goes back to what I've been beating since I've been talking in the book of Galatians, it is this. It is this. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is not about you. If life is about you, you and you're a Christian, you're going to be sorely mistaken, and you're going to be sad, and you're going to you're going to find disappointment in your life. Make your life about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the answer, gang. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says, "My life. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified." I'm not going to glory in anything in my life. What I'm going to glory in is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world, to me, has been crucified. And me, even to the world. The world doesn't have a hold on me anymore because I live for Christ. Jesus has a hold on me. Who has a hold of you? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And as many as walk according to this rule. That's kind of an interesting term right there, this rule. He says, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The word there, rule, is canon. K-A-N-O-N in the Greek, canon. And it's a, it's literally a rod or a straight piece of of rounded wood to which anything is fastened to to keep it straight. Such as, as we've been talking about plants, it's like a stake that you stick in the ground next to a tree and you tie the tree to the stake. And what that what's that stake going to do? It's going to train that tree to grow up what? Straight, right? It's it, what, what Paul's saying, hey, 
as many as walk according to, as many as tie themselves to the straight rule of the Lord, the righteousness of the Lord, the understanding that the sowing and reaping economy actually is reality. If you tie yourself to the straight, now that word canon or canon literally it also has the meaning of a measuring rod or a rule or a carpenter's line or measuring tape or the measure of a leap as in, as in an Olympic jump. It's a measuring tool. And so when we come back and we look at this as the rule, we tie ourselves to the word of God and we allow it to form and fashion our life to where we grow straight. Does that make sense? We, we, we follow the Lord. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let no one trouble me. Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm scarred because I've been walking this life with Jesus for a long time. So don't tell me that I don't have a relationship with Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Father, we have in front of us this, this passage, and, and I pray, God, that, that this message has meant something to someone. Maybe there's those in this room, there's someone in this room right now that is in the middle of planting seed. They're, they're, they're poking seed in the ground right now. They were doing it before they even came into church today. They're expecting a different result. They're expecting some blessing or, or, or your oversight over the seeds that they're planting in their life. They're hoping that you don't see. They're hoping that that won't ever produce the wrong plant. God, would you just minister to them right now? Let them know your character. Number one, your character is one of grace and mercy and love, forgiveness and renewal and restoration. And so, Lord, if they're planting bad seed right now, Lord, if they confess it and they they stop, they remove it. That, Lord, you're faithful and just, your word says, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's who you are. And so, Lord, help us to stop planting bad seed. Help us to stop making decisions apart from you. Help us to begin to recognize that a life crucified in Jesus Christ in you is one that goes through you before we make decisions in our life. Seeks your face, seeks your direction, seeks your your discernment and your wisdom before we make those life-changing decisions of what seed to plant in our life. And Lord, as we do, and as we do seek you, and you produce before us, you, you offer unto us good seed. Lord, help us. Give us the strength to plant that seed, that good plant, good harvest would be produced from the seed that you have offered us. God, the heartache that we so oftentimes endure because of our decisions. 
And I will be more personal because of my own decisions, my own hard-headedness, my own stubbornness. How many heartaches, how many difficult days would have been averted if I would have just listened to you in the beginning? Lord, if there's anyone right now in the beginning or in the middle or even towards the end, Lord, may they come to you. May I come to you. May we come to you and and acknowledge that we've made decisions based upon our own desire, upon culture, upon whatever is accepted practice in this day and age, hoping to get what this world offers and promises. May we confess it to you and turn away from that, that we might turn to you and seek your face be restored, be refreshed. Lord, we begin to make the right choices in life. Living for you. We love you, God. Bless us the rest of this day, Lord, and help us to live this life that is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.